I talk to a lot of people who are students of this career, wanting to go into this career, or recent graduates. And one of the questions I always ask them is what their ultimate career goal is, because it's so important to know where you're going so that you can create the road to success to get there. So you know what the path is, because if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you get there? But so many people talk about wanting to work with endangered species. They say something vague like they they want to work with endangered species. So that's what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. What careers look like when working with endangered species. And I think we all have the classic like visual in our head of the wolf release in Yellowstone and we have sort of this glamorous, maybe glamorous is not the right word, dramatic interpretation of what it looks like. But some of the work is not like that at all. So we will get into the nitty gritty of what those jobs look like. Before we start, though, I just want to talk to you about something really fun that's coming up this June. I am doing my first career challenge for getting a job in wildlife biology. So if you are somebody who has really struggled to get a job, you've applied for job after job after job, and you can't get one, you're not even working in a wildlife job, and you work so hard for four years to get that degree, and now you're not even using it. Or if you're somebody who is worried about getting a job, maybe you're still in school and you're really worried about about your chances. You hear about how competitive it is once you get out there. And yes, it is competitive, but when you have a strategy, you are going to do so well. That is the, the key piece that so many people are missing. And I talk to so many people, they are not being taught this in school. So I'm doing a, I'm doing a career challenge. It's going to start June 7th, and it's going to be five over five days. We are going to learn the, the essentials of becoming competitive in this career. And I'm going to have trainings and exercises so you will be able to take away real things from this training that you can use in your cover letters, your job applications, and use to assess yourself and your skills. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that, just go to fancyscientist.com and in the menu bar, you'll see a link for the Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology Challenge. And I hope you join me. It's free, by the way, and it won't be all day um, every day for five days we'll do it probably like an hour in the evening welcome to the fancy scientist podcast i'm your host dr stephanie shuttler an unconventional wildlife biologist who never fit the scientist stereotype in this podcast i share with you my insights as a scientist and offer you real talk on wildlife research conservation and advice on this unusual career. Being a wildlife biologist is not what you think it is. Join me to learn what science is really like and how to become the best version of yourself so you can thrive, effectively conserve nature, and enjoy this beautiful life we share with so many other beings. Let's get started. I'm gonna start off by breaking one of my own rules. 
Whenever somebody is giving a talk and they apologize before they give a talk where they're like, I'm sorry if this is rushed, I tried to cram everything in here, or I'm sorry that my voice sounds this way, I don't know, whatever, but I tell people not to do that. But I am going to do that for this episode. I'm doing a new time schedule and I'm really sticking to it. And I had on my schedule that I was doing a podcast today. So I'm not as prepared as I wanted to be. And that's okay. We just might have a little bit more word vomit today. And it might be a little bit all over the place. So this is your first time listening to this podcast. This is maybe not a typical podcast. And I think it'll make sense. I just don't have an outline like I normally do. But I am really good at talking. I'm really good at riffing. So let's see where we end up. Okay, so careers in endangered species. What do they look like? As I mentioned in the intro, that people have this vision or they they see something really dramatic. Like you open the, the, the cage and a gray wolf runs out and is recolonizing areas of Yellowstone. So what, what does it take to get to that moment? Well, and these, these are reintroductions actually. So reintroduction is just one part of endangered species work. I'm going to take my earbuds out. Reintroductions are just one part of endangered species work. There are, there is definitely endangered species work where the species is not brought into captivity and therefore not captively bred and reintroduced. But I think this is in general what people think about. And I wanted, I want to say that I'm focusing on wildlife today, and wildlife definitely has a really broad definition that can include plants. But I'm going to focus more on the tra- more traditional when we talk about like wildlife biology and jobs in wildlife biology, which usually refers to terrestrial vertebrate animals. So I'm going to focus on terrestrial. Maybe I'll mention marine a couple of times, but that's going to be the focus. And I also want to say that there are so, so many careers out there. So this is, again, just a word vomit on what the careers look like. It is by no means inclusive. There's so many different options out there. But I think, again, like people get this misconception or think that it's only like one way that you can have a career with endangered species. And I want to show you that there's so many ways to do this. So I think the traditional sense is that people think about the research side and People visualize, I think, based on how, how many people I talk to and what they kind of explain, is being out the fe- out in the field and watching the animals and recording observations. And that's, for the most part, really not how it works. It might work for some species. So if there are some species that are easier to see, like like in Africa, there's a lot of open savannas. There's a lot of large game or a lot of large wildlife that you can see in the savannas. So there might be some observational data that you take. But so much of the data nowadays is collected through other means and scientists aren't in the field as much anymore if they are doing direct observations. So for something for an animal like wolves, research would be probably using camera traps, probably using a combination of 
of camera traps set on trees to, to capture images of them when they come across those traps. And then also telemetry is a big one too, especially for a species that is being reintroduced because the animal is already in captivity. So you don't have to anesthetize it or anything. You can put the collar or you can you have it in captivity. So you, have, you don't have to capture it for that purpose. And you can attach the collar on it and you're going to want to track where it goes and that information. But as a scientist studying that species, you are going to do the release of that species. But you, your main job though is going to be really analyzing the data of what comes in and writing reports or papers on it depending on what position that you have. So you're really not going to be in the field a whole ton if that is if that's your position. Again, it depends on the species that you're working on. There are so many different species out there, you know, like like we tend to think about mammals. And I tend to focus on mammals because I studied mammals. I studied large mammals. But there are amphibian species. There are reptiles. There's birds. So there's a lot more opportunity for direct observation on some of those species. When we're talking about species that are really critically at low numbers, such as, or, or they are reintroduced to new areas like the, the wolves in Yellowstone, but when they are at critically low numbers, a lot of times they have to be brought into captivity to, to reproduce so that the numbers are able to get to a certain level that they can be released into the wild until the threat is mitigated or there's some sort of habitat that they're able to survive in. But if the threat is still there, if, if say they need this really important habitat to survive and that habitat is still being destroyed, it doesn't make sense to bring them in captivity at least to to get them to captive breed because then there's nowhere safe to introduce them. And captive breeding programs are, they're expensive. So you want to, you want to use conservation dollars wisely. It's, it's a limited amount that we have of conservation dollars. So we want to make sure that we are investing it in the right programs. And I think a lot of people think of these reintroduction or captive breeding programs. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what goes into those programs. So when we're talking about really endangered species, like species that are, you know, like tens of individuals or hundreds of individuals, one of the 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 barriers or one of the things that we need to focus on is genetics. We want to make sure that the genetic diversity of the species is maximized to avoid any inbreeding effects. And this was this happened a classic example was with the the Florida panther. The Florida panther is a subspecies of the mountain lion aka puma aka cougar and they started to have inbreeding effects so they started to have some some health um, some adverse health um, effects i forget the specifics but i'm pretty sure for males it was low sperm count and they definitely had kinks in their tails 
In order to preserve this subspecies, therefore, officials had to bring in mountain lions from Texas, and they did have to dilute the the pure lineage of the Florida panther in order to save this species. So when we're talking about really critically endangered species, these species that are in small numbers, genetics is really important, keeping track of whom, who is mating with whom. And this is done at zoos usually for the most part. So the San Diego Zoo has a really successful and large captive breeding program. And for sure, they have a really great genetics research area at the San Diego Zoo. So one thing, one one aspect of endangered species research you can go into is uh, genetic. And I also think that people get the sense that you're, you're focusing on one species. So if you're studying the Florida panther or they're subspecies, but if you're studying the Florida panther, you study it holistically. But it usually works more where you have a specialty. So say your specialty is genetics, then you would be working at an institution um, like the San Diego Zoo, and you would be, let's say, head of genetics, overseeing a lot of different projects and be involved in different captive breeding programs. You also might do some work um, looking at how wild populations are breeding, if there is if there is mating in between populations, because if populations are separated, then then they could then they could breed so much with each other that they create subspecies and then eventually over time they would create species and we want to keep that that genetic admix in the pool to to keep them um, healthier and to just genetic more genetically diverse which which helps them with things like disease resistance because you have you have more chances for individuals to be resistant to certain diseases when you have more individuals in the population now in order to work for endangered species and have really big impact i recommend not working in academia. There's a lot of academics who work in on endangered species, but in academia, the universities really care about your publication record. That's that's really what's important. So, if you want to go if you want to work on endangered species, yes, you would do your research on endangered species, but is that research getting into the hands of of who matters? Like who is managing those species, the governments involved with those species? And one of the big things that I've learned over the years is data doesn't change mind and research doesn't change mind. We have some really solid evidence that climate change is is driven by man-made factors the the accelerated rate that we are seeing today but there's lots of people who who still don't who still don't believe that so working with people and getting them to adopt the the policy or the laws or whatever is necessary 
in order for that animal to survive is really beyond research and it's more of a government issue it's more of a policy issue nonprofits are always are also involved in this as well so if you really want to make a difference that's what a lot of people talk about is making a difference honestly the academic route is more is more research for for research sake and of course there is a lot of great research that does have conservation implications but it's really difficult for the academic to work with governments and organizations because to be honest it's not rewarded by the universe and they have so much on their plate to begin with that it's just it's just really difficult to do So just a side note about where you work is really important depending on what kind of impact that you have. And when you work at these different places, this is the thing that that most people probably don't expect is that a lot of your job might not involve research because, and this is like, this is the thing with conservation as a whole, so much of it is about people. I, I, I've heard so many government officials talk about that they don't manage wildlife, but they manage people. So for example, going back to the gray wolves, there's a lot of issues with gray wolves going on private property because Yellowstone can only hold so many gray wolves. And as the population expands, they're going to disperse into the surrounding area. Colorado recently approved the reintroduction of gray wolves, and it was a very slim majority. I think it was like 51% to 49%. So for sure, there's going to have to be a lot of work on the ground, working with people, helping them understand the importance of wolves, the value of wolves to their everyday lives, and to the state of Colorado, which is not an easy task. So as a a government official working on endangered species, you may have to do a lot of meetings, or you very likely have to do a lot of meetings with different stakeholders, different public meetings as well, talking to the public, Again, lots of people management and maybe less so on the wildlife management. And the higher up you go, the more you are going to be doing that sort of stuff. Same thing with nonprofit too. If you're working internationally with a nonprofit, you are very much most likely going to be spending a lot of your time in meeting rooms with government officials, with with other important stakeholders working on endangered species management. That going back to the reintroduction programs, let's go over some some more aspects of reintroductions. Reproduction is really important. So some species are they have reproductive problems when they get down to so few individuals we kind of think animals are just animals and they're just like willing to mate with anyone or any other of their individual but animals can be choosy so there can be like behavioral issues there can be reproductive issues but even beyond that there can be reproductive issues in terms of maintaining pregnancies or getting pregnant in the first place so a lot of um, more critically endangered species work 
that takes place at zoos is hormone research, understanding the reproductive cycles of these these different um, species. And when animals are really critically low, like I remember going to a talk on the Sumatran rhino where there's only like 40 rhinos and the rhinos are in all these different facilities. So they're not in like this one captive breeding facility. So there is a lot of work being done on reproduction And then also, again, so much as politics, these different countries each want to have a captive breeding center to brag about that they have a critically endangered or extinct in the wild species and they're they're breeding the species. But the problem is the species is spread so thin across these different centers that it can't properly recover. So people working on this issue, and I have a blog post that goes into detail on this that I will link in the show notes. So people working on this issue, honestly, so much of their job is like working across different governments, working with different people in meetings, and and working to get on the same page to do the best thing for the rhino. Behavior can also be a big part of endangered species research. A lot of people, again, think of this. So I would say probably the biggest part of behavioral research is tracking, doing satellite telemetry. A lot of bigger species get into conflict with people and understanding their movement patterns or understanding, again, for genetic admixture, where they're going Maybe there's certain barriers like like a road that is preventing them from from going from one location to another. I know that's a big problem for mountain lions out in California, although they're not an endangered species. So there might be behavioral studies on those types of things. And then also maybe some behavioral studies in captive the captive rearing programs or the captive breeding program. For the black-footed ferrets, when they brought them in to for captive breeding and they were getting ready to reintroduce them into the wild, they had to teach them how to hunt prairie dogs because the, the individuals born in captivity, they were never exposed to this. They didn't, they didn't know how to hunt. So zookeepers at at the Smithsonian in their in their conservation institute they they taught these black-footed ferrets through different in different enclosures how to how to hunt prairie dogs and as they became more successful hunters they graduated to to larger enclosures that were that were eventually then in the habitat where they they so another side of this career um, or careers in endangered species is the animal husbandry aspect of it so for this this is more of like a keeper role so if you're taking care of species that are in these captive breeding programs it's really going to be the the keepers doing it. and then a lot of endangered species work too is about habitat. So if the animal doesn't have anywhere to live, then then it is not going to survive. And then also identifying what is good habitat for the species 
and even like declaring areas as being protected because endangered species live there. So in a lot of cases, this might be looking for certain kinds of vegetation or evidence of certain species, maybe like burrows, something something like, like that. So a lot of work with endangered species might not even necessarily be seeing the species, to tell you the truth. My advisor, she did a population estimate of forest elephants, which are an endangered species. Actually, they're critically endangered. They weren't declared this at the time, but they are now. And she did this in West Africa, where there are really, really low numbers. So she did population estimates of forest elephants using their dung, and she never saw a forest elephant her whole entire time. This is also true when working on carnivores especially. They are really elusive, so you may may never see one. Somebody who studies jaguars, Marcella Kelly, she I think has she's been studying them for a long time. I don't know the numbers, but I want to say a decade or more, probably even more than probably like 15, 20 years. And she's been to Belize many times. You know, she studies a jaguar. She's in jaguar habitat. And she's only seen jaguars, I think, like five or six times in the wild, which is a lot. So when it comes to studying these species or having careers in these species, if seeing the animals is really important, then you want to think of more of a husbandry career because Sorry, <laughs> my nose is itching. Because in this, in this, in husbandry careers, you're you're gonna see the animals all the all the time. Or you really want an animal. You really want to work on an animal where you can see them in the wild. Whereas, if you just really care about making it different, or you're really driven by the scientific aspect of it, the the research aspect of it, then then you can choose animals to work on non invasively. And then finally, I just wanted to end with saying that so many careers working on endangered species are really, again, about the people. And you can have such an impact without ever doing research. There are so many jobs involved in policy, and these are such important jobs. And again, endangered species work is is really a people problem or a people issue because we are the ones exerting the the threat on these species that is causing them to decline. So oftentimes, no matter how much we study them, if the threat is not removed, it doesn't matter. Really what we need to be studying is, in some cases, is, is the people and the threat more than the species itself. We are not given the luxury to be able to study the species because it might go extinct soon. So with my alarm going off in the background, like I said, I'm doing this new schedule thing. I'm really sticking to it. So I'm going to wrap up this episode. And this is not exhaustive exhaustive by any means. There are tons of different careers. This is just a broad overview and I did tend to focus on, on reintroductions and captive breeding because, again, I think this is what a lot of people think of. That is definitely not the only, the only branch of endangered species work out there. 
Use the job tracker. Go to fancyscientist.com. Start tracking jobs and really pay attention to those that you're interested in. That's going to prepare you best for a career, whether it's an endangered species or not. Okay, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Are you an aspiring or struggling wildlife biologist, ecologist, conservation biologist, or anyone interested in a career with wildlife? Join our community, the Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology Facebook group. Based on my book, Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology, What It's Like and What You Need to Know, this Facebook group is designed to connect, support, and inspire future and current wildlife professionals or those who can't get a job. Come for daily affirmations to lead you to career success, job postings, and profiles of professionals in cool jobs. If you're struggling, feel stuck, lost, confused, or are just worried about this career, reach out to me at stephanie at fancyscientist.com to schedule a free clarity call. I've talked to over 100 aspiring wildlife professionals and those struggling to get a job, and they've told me what I also experienced. Degrees alone do not prepare you for wildlife careers. You need the right combination of experience, education, network, and skills to land the job you want. You also need to be able to convey that on a job application and sell yourself to the employer. I've looked at over 100 cover letters and interviewed graduates. I can tell you for sure they are selling themselves short, not listing all of their expertise and not marketing themselves effectively. I've talked to potential students who have dynamic personalities and sound so knowledgeable and experienced in person, but when I look at their resumes or CVs, none of that is reflected. If what you have been doing is not working, it's not all of a sudden going to start working. It's time to make a change. If you want to get your dream job in the fastest way possible, schedule a Zoom meeting with me today. No matter what stage of your career you are at, from high school student to graduate searching for jobs, I can help you. It is never too early or late to start. If this episode helped you or someone you know, make sure to tag me on Instagram at fancy scientist, at fancy underscore scientist, and share this podcast with your community to continue spreading the word and reach more also, be sure to leave a review on iTunes to receive extra positive vibes and love from me. Plus, you'll be helping me reach even more people with this important message. Thank you so much for listening.